Hello, I'm Sam Clements, and welcome to The Love of Cinema, a picture house podcast proudly supported by Kia, powering independent cinema. On today's mini-episode, I am delighted to welcome back film critic Elena Lazic, who talks to acclaimed filmmaker, the, the guy behind Lost City of Zed, uh, and a whole bunch of other great movies, to the podcast. James Gray is returning to the show, talking about his brand new film, Armageddon Time which is in cinemas now. Well, I think that's all from me. So, without further ado, please enjoy Elena Lazic talking to filmmaker James Gray about Armageddon Time. The United States stands for an idea whose time is now. Ronald Reagan will win tonight. What a schmuck. (laughs) You're going to college. You'll have dinner with kings if he plays his cards right. Mm-hmm. I really like your stickers. My stepbrother gave them to me. He's in the Air Force. That's so cool. <laughs> How dare you! I'm a menace to you! Well, you're not to associate with him again. What do you mean? Why? I think you know what I mean. Thank you for speaking to me about your film. And first of all, congratulations, because I really love it. I think it's amazing. Oh, thank you. And yeah, I've got loads of questions, in part because it feels kind of different from your other films. So I guess my first question would be, um, your films are always meticulously structured, uh, and this one is no exception. Um, But because it is apparently based on your life to some degree, I was wondering how you worked on writing that, because it must be quite different to suddenly be working from something much more personal and much more based on your own experience. Well, yeah, I've always tried to make the films personal regardless of what the story is, but I guess it was, I mean, what I tried to do was to have a central idea, this idea of the layers of privilege and putting that idea that every scene through that filter in other words did every scene that i was coming up with in some way add to or add color to this this idea Mm -hmm. and whatever didn't it felt extraneous to me so Mm -hmm. i was trying to get it to be focused in that way that i was thinking about it very thematically Mm -hmm. but i mean that was yeah of course what's a different challenge i mean every movie is so damn hard i mean it's so hard Mm -hmm. to make anything good not that i would even know it's like you know it's like if you're lucky you get to make two or three really good pictures before you die that means you're like you know it's you've had you've been been given this great gift so i don't know i don't know if uh i don't know exactly if i've answered your question but it's certainly not uh it's there's no one method that you can apply each film presents its own problems it's like it's not like any other, you know, product. it's why the movie studios are in trouble because it's not like reducible. You can't it's like new and improved Brillo pads or something that clean your dishwasher, you know, dishes better. No, this is like a brand new thing every time out with new actors and new story and new sets. And it's like you're reinventing the wheel. Mm-hmm. And um, something that I found really striking about the film as well is the, that you you do find a sort of balance between showing this main character this child as a child who doesn't really know you know he's a child he doesn't behave like an adult but then on the other hand he also has this sort of awareness 
and this sense of um, justice. He doesn't, sometimes we see kids in films that do bad things and sometimes it's because they're mean or because they don't even realize what they're doing. And this kid doesn't, I mean, he does some things that are, you know, that he thinks about afterwards, but he has this consciousness, this awareness that he doesn't want to be a bad person. He doesn't want to hurt anybody. So I was wondering how you sort of balance the idea of basically the innocence in the sense of uh, being a good person, but also not really, you know, not really knowing how the world works. And also this sense of being someone who's really careful and very observant and very trying his best to, to create a so realistic child. Yeah. Being a child is uh, its own set of difficulties. You know, we're not born with a fixed idea of a moral compass or ethical compass. It has to be taught to us. It has to be given to us in some way by either, uh, it used to be religion, or, you know, the parables in the Bible or something, for example. In my case, I don't think I got, I don't think I got much guidance at all. And to the degree I still have, uh, I have any guidance, it's probably through art. But the idea of being, particularly someone who's 11 or 12, is that you think you have an idea of the world. And one of the things about being 53 now, or 52 when I made it, is, is that you realize you're getting dumber as you get older, and you know less about the world. And I can make less sense of events now that happened back then than I can, uh, that I could when I was 11 or 12, and I thought I had a more firm grasp on things. You know, most, but you asked me about this, you know, is the kid likable, you know, when the kid's likable and stuff. But it's like, most people, forget whether it's a kid or not, but most people are not filled with bad intentions. I mean, yes, there are those people, right? I mean, you know, Hitler or something, I'm sure, you know, he not a well-intended, although even in his own mind, he probably had good intentions. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, who knows? But it's, most people are like, they're trying to do their best, but life is really hard. And, and kids are not necessarily innocent either. I mean, children lie, children are bullies, children cheat on tests, children say terribly cruel things to other children, and children are cowards. Uh, children basically are only trying to survive, just as adults are. Hmm. So I was only trying to make sure that he didn't seem wise beyond his years, and that he was in some ways a bit of a cipher, because hmm. as a young person, he's simply absorbing the world. But what he's absorbing in this movie is an unending series of layers mm. and a kind of anguish about that, about how complex the world really is mm. and cruel. Yeah. Um, I was wondering as well about um, your work with the actors, especially the two child actors uh, and the leads, because something that I found really refreshing about this character and, and this performance in particular is how... Uh, uncomfortable he seems a lot of the time and how sort of not just shy but genuinely freaking out <laughs> like he doesn't really know you know even when he's trying to talk to his friend for the first time or you know he he's very scared all the time and I was wondering first of all in a way how you write this but also how you communicate that to your actors because I have a sense that most child actors they are asked to play like adults and and they're not necessarily asked to play fear or anxiety 
And if you don't necessarily have this as well, I have this idea that probably most child actors are not very scared. <laughs> I don't know if it's true. Um, but yeah, so basically, how did you work with the actors on this? Because it's it's very impressive and very realistic. And and uh, I think anyone watching the film can just think back to how they used to be, or at least how they felt inside, even if they didn't show it necessarily. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a central or critical idea that he was in a state of terror because you're being introduced to the wider world. And the wider world is filled with both light and dark. And you don't know what is in store for you. And you're just beginning to understand the idea of death. Death as a certainty. Death began, be, began to creep into the boy's life, my own life at that time with my, my grandfather. And that's the beginning of what I call the 4 a.m. scaries, where you wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and you realize that you're all alone in the world. It's the beginning of all of that. So when I worked with them, boys, it was a central part of our conversation. You, I would say, you don't know what's going to happen here. You know, for you, it's a catastrophe. The whole thing is a catastrophe, and... Your parents, they're not asking you if you're all right. They're worried about putting food on the table and they want the best for you, but in a very abstract way. Mm -hmm. They're not actually listening to what it is you want, need, or feel. I don't remember my father ever saying to me, are you okay? Do you need help? Not mm -hmm. once. Now, I'm not condemning my father. Oh, he was an awful parent or whatever. That's not mm -hmm. the point. Because I know what he, he had urgencies that he had to deal with. But that makes kids in a constant state of terror. Plus, I had a president, you know, who was always talking about Armageddon. He was talking about nuclear holocaust with the Russians, the Soviet Union. And so you got this sense of terror and impending doom from your own family, but also from the television on high. So he had to play that. I would just tell him, I would remind him over and over again of this state of never feeling at home, never feeling ready for the world, always feeling under threat. So you're right, it was very much part of the DNA. Let's go somewhere new. See worlds we've never seen before so that we can feel inspired. Whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars, inspiration comes when we feel something new. That's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia, proud supporter of independent cinema. Kia, movement that inspires. And I, I think something that the film does really well is um, give us a very real, but we see this fear in his eyes and in, in the way he behaves, but we also almost get to experience it ourselves, especially with his father, yeah. who is, uh, can get quite violent and scary. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was wondering how you worked with uh, Jeremy Strong, the, who plays the father, on creating this scene, because it's very it's it's very extreme, but at the same time, I mean, even in, in, in my own life, I have, I, my father was not like this, but I, I can totally imagine it happening. Like it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like a fantasy. It doesn't feel like something extreme, exaggerated for the sake of, drama it feels very real and so i was wondering how what you tapped into or what he tapped into i guess as an actor as well to play that scene and um 
and yeah and how also how you did it with the child because i'm a bit worried for him <laughs> for the actor we talked about a work of art actually you know what let me see if i can find it for you hold on let me get my phone is it a painting yes but it's it's uh it's by william kentridge it's called mm -hmm. the end of constant sorrow oh dear yeah i can see so the idea was that it's a person who has a child who won't listen, who won't obey, who's willful, obnoxious at times. You have your constant struggle. How do I pay for the groceries? You have that fear, again, your own fear, and you don't know what to do with your child. It's an act of parental ineptitude. So I think I just told him at the time I said, it's rage. You're taking it out on your son, but it's really about you. It has nothing to do with it, your son, really. Mm. Your son is putting everything in jeopardy by what he did. And I think he, he absorbed that and accepted that. And when we played it, I think we did four takes. And I think what you see in the film is take four. I think it's the last one. And he went through, some were worse than others, uh, more violent than others. And I think the one I chose finally was the one that allowed for an authenticity, but also didn't go so far that you hated the character. And that was its own challenge, because in reality, it was actually much worse. But you would have hated the character. And you don't have time yeah. for all the complexities of that man over 100 hours of programming to see all the nuance to accept him for what he did so you would have been very upset and very angry and uh, that was the key for us was to strike that kind of balance right so the key was not so much realism as much as trying to craft a story that makes sense exactly exactly i mean well it was realism in so far as we were trying to yes we were trying to do it so that it was close to what i experienced but it wasn't exact that's all it was the spirit of what happened. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I showed you that Kentridge thing because the idea was just the world was spinning out of his control and he didn't know what to do. It's not that he lacked love. He just was clueless. What do mm -hmm. I do with this kid? How do I get him to be, to, to behave, to fit into a box? That's what I thought the scene was really about. We definitely feel both the, the fear of the child, but so in a way the the total despair of the father, I think. Um, he doesn't come across as a complete monster. He's just... Uh... Right, I think I think, I think think he played it exactly right that way because if you'd hated him, what's the point? I think in some ways the kid... Look, the, he doesn't deserve to get beaten, but he does deserve something. I mean, he screwed up in a major way. Some He deserved some form of punishment. Yeah, so that... Um... Actually, the film's cast changed quite quite significantly from when it, the film was first announced. Uh, I think probably partly because of the pandemic, and I was wondering how that how that was for you because I feel like, from what I understand, most of the films you've made, you kind of, they were, most of them quite well not not all of them but like especially the early ones quite small and you always worked with the similar actors. You had like your crew of actors that you love working with, and here to suddenly have I think two or three or maybe more actors suddenly drop out and having to um, replace them how that was that for you and how do you think it impacted the film in in good ways and bad ways 
in the end. You're quite right. It was a result of the pandemic. I mean, what happened was I had assembled the movie to be done. And then all of a sudden, the pandemic happened and everybody's schedule got completely screwed up. I mean, uh, originally was talking to uh, Bob De Niro to play the grandfather's character. But the grandfather was, at that time, based on my father's father. And when I did a rewrite of the script after Bob De Niro went off to go do Martin Scorsese's film, and that was many, many, many months of shooting. And once that happened, it was either push the whole movie and maybe lose it or try to recast or rethink it or whatever. When I rewrote it as my mother's father, my first move was to try and get Anthony Hopkins. Because my, my mother's father and my father's father are very different. Um, it's a big class divide, too, and also a very different generation. My, fa my mother's father was quite an urbane guy. In fact, let me see if I can find this picture. So I'm showing you all these pictures today. Oh, that's great. Now, this is earlier. I was 1971. Uh, mm. So you see me here. I'm two. But wow. this is a picture of him. Wow. Yeah, he was a, it was a very, I had a very kind of gentle and, uh, he was oh, my very, my shirt is very, you know, properly, you know, it's like that. And mm -hmm. uh, it became a different movie. And I, I actually think that uh, the story functions better because it's my mother's father. You know, she withdrew after his death. She, she became uh, uh, really a shell of her former self, lost oh, wow. a lot of her vitality. She was, must have been very close with him. And uh, when he died, it was it was the death and something in her. And she didn't live very long after that. Oh, wow. I don't even remember what the question was. So it shows you what I know. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't I didn't work. You're right. I didn't work with my usual cabal of actors. But but that's OK, because every actor, you know, you find that unless they have no craft whatsoever, which is a unique situation, you find yourself having a very common language with them. You know, you have a lot in common, no matter whether you've worked with them or not. Their their process is at least something you can accommodate as a film director. Very rewarding. Mm. Nice. Well, I think that's all I have time for, but uh, thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you for showing me all, all the pictures as well. I think it really adds to the experience. <laughs> You're very welcome. It's, uh, it's helpful for me, too. I don't know how to explain certain things. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you.